John chapter 15, verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. This morning we want to look at the last of the I am statements uh, that are mentioned in the book of John that Jesus made. And every one of these statements tell of the work and the person of Jesus Christ. As we mentioned before, Jesus said the words, I am, uh, no less than 20-something times in the book of John. But there are eight statements that are made that are notably important uh, when Jesus describes who he is and what he does. This I am statement comes with a bonus. Because in this I am statement, some things about ourselves are revealed. Uh, he doesn't necessarily say, I am and you are, but the statements he made leaves an unmistakable message about our lives. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for showing us Jesus Christ. We thank you for telling us plainly who he is. We ask that you would make him known to us, and Father, help us to make him known to others. Show us ourselves in this passage of scripture. We need to see ourselves with all of our needs. And Father, as we find our needs for change, for commitment, for readjustment, show that to us very clearly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now we look at this passage of scripture, and a lot of times we may read through here and we may assume that this is uh, part of the discussion that Jesus had in the upper room. Because last week we spoke, of course, of Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we know he was in the upper room as we read through the chapter of John 14. But if you look at the last few words of John chapter 14 and verse 31, he said, Arise, let us go from here. They had left. We also know and if we read through chapter 13, verse 30, that Judas went out and it says, it was night. So Jesus and the disciples 
are out of the upper room. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spoke these words, I am the true vine. Now, two things that scholars look at is the fact that in order to go across to the Garden of Gethsemane, they left the upper room, they left Jerusalem, and they went across the Kidron Valley. At that time, it is known because of other ancient writings, the Kidron Valley was covered with a vineyard. There was a vineyard there. So they would have been walking through grapevines. So Jesus had a ready object lesson. Oh, but there's something else, too. As they walked from the upper room, they would have gone by the temple gate. Jesus would have gone by the temple, I'm sure. Of course, being a Jewish man at the time of the Passover, he would have gone by the temple, and the temple gate was actually a tourist attraction. It was fabulous. It was imported from Greece. It was made out of bronze. And on the bronze gate worked into the bronze was a vine made of pure gold. It was a vine made of pure gold. And scholars say that from time to time, very wealthy people would pay to have another cluster of grapes added to the vine. That was something they loved to do. They loved to do that. Now, why would a vine be on the temple gate? It would be on the temple gate because the grapevine was the very symbol of the nation of Israel. All through the Old Testament, there's reference after reference of the grapevine, of the vine. And, of course, it was all woven into the very heart of Jewish life. And so when Jesus talked about a vine, they knew what he was talking about because it was a symbol throughout the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. Scholars pretty well believe that's probably where Jesus was at this symbol for the nation of Israel on the temple gate because of the exact wording of what he said. Later in his discussion, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. But the first I am statement is this, I am the true vine. It's important that he said, I am the true vine. The true vine, in the original language, the word true means as opposed to an imitation vine, as opposed to a counterfeit vine, as opposed to a cheap substitute or an inferior or a false vine. You see, this was not something new that Jesus was bringing up. Jesus was actually echoing a statement that God made to Israel 760 years before through the prophet of Isaiah. And we find that statement in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Begin in verse 1. This is one of the many statements that have to do with the, the nation of Israel being a vine, God's vine. And look what he says about God's vine. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song 
of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with choicest vine. He planted, built a tower in its midst. He also made a wine press in it. Then it changes. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please tell me what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It will be burned and break down its wall. It will be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. There will come up briars and thorns. And I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Wow. He said this, you started out as my vine. And you started out... And my intentions were that you would bring forth the fruit of justice and righteousness. I looked for fruit on the vine, and I found wild grapes. And then he said this, what else could I have done for you? What else could I have done for you? A hundred and thirty years later, Jeremiah would say it this way. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Yet I planted you a noble vine and a, sea of high, a seed of highest quality. Man, that sounds good. I mean, you probably look and say, that's us. We're the chosen nation. He called us a noble vine. He said it was the seed of highest quality. Yep, that's our country. We're the vine of the Lord. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? Jesus comes into that symbol that everybody pointed at and said, look, there's a golden vine on the temple of the Lord, and that's because we're the vine of God. And he stands before it and he says, I'm the real vine, as opposed to the strange vine, the alien vine, the degenerate vine. You see, what the problem was, is many of the Hebrew people thought because of their national heritage, if you want a relationship with God, you've got to come through us. You've got to come through the nation of Israel. And the Apostle Paul fought that in the early church. He fought it all the time because the Jewish people would say, these people can't be saved and just come straight into a relationship with God. They've got to become Jews first. All this was because of they had a very inflated image of their national heritage. They were attached to a political cause instead of the promised Christ. Sound familiar? They were too attached to a political cause and not attached to the promised Christ. So Jesus comes and says, I'm the true vine. Not any country, not any political party, not any other heritage, 
I am the true, genuine, the real thing. Everything else is a counterfeit. And then he gives us the picture. I am the true vine in the same sentence, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that I may bear, may bear more fruit. He gives us two major actions. My father is the vine dresser. This is foreign to us, unless you have grapevines in your yard. We, we have some, and some of you have some. But for the most part, in the American culture, we don't know anything about grapevines. But every single Jewish hearer would know what he was talking about when he said, my father is the vine dresser. And King James, the husband. He's the one that tends to the grapes. There's two major actions that take place, and the first is what he talks about here. And the first one is pruning. They all knew that this happens. You can't just plant a grapevine and expect it to bear fruit consistently year after year after year. In order for it to bear fruit and the best fruit and the, the highest quality fruit and the most fruit that you can get out, you have to prune it. And that means you've got to take away anything on that vine that will direct or divert resources from going to those grapes. And the vine dresser would go through there with a knife. Now we have a pair of snips. And first of all, he would remove the dead and broken and diseased branches. Pretty obvious. You can look at them and say, man, that's got to go. Well, what's going on with that branch? But it's wilted. It's dead. It never did put out leaves. Leaves don't look real good on it. Nothing happened in here. You just snip it away. But it goes even further than that. You have to take away all the extra leafy branches that look fine. I mean, they look good. They're green and leafy. But you have to take away a lot of that extra stuff that looks fine because that will direct the nutrients of that vine to those leaves and not to the branches that are producing fruit. And so with the first action, the vine looks a lot better after the vine dresser gets through with it. The second action, it looks horrible. I mean, we trim that back. Well, we, the collective we, Sharon, trims that one back. She knows how to do that. And she'll take that vine somewhere around February and start snipping it back, and it looks like she's killed it. But you take away everything extra that ordinarily may be good leaves, but it's not accomplishing the objective of the vine dresser. So it is with the father. The states very clear, Jesus states very clearly what the priority of the husbandman is. In verse 2, he says this, Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right. In this passage of Scripture, you have fruit. You plant a vine so it would produce what? Grapes. Not leaves. Not shade. But grapes. That's the objective of the vine dresser. And not only that, he doesn't want it just to bear fruit, but he starts pruning it that it will bear more fruit. And then in verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
So here's the progression. And here is God's purpose for our life. Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. That's what God wants in our lives. And he seeks to promote this agenda by pruning our lives. Now, how does he do that? Well, Jesus said it this way. You're already clean because of the words which I've spoken to you. That is verse 2. Now, in verse 15 in the New King James, it says, Every branch that bears fruit he prunes. In verse 3, he says, you're already clean. Two different English words, but if you go back to the original translation, it is the same Greek word that he used. So if you want to be quite faithful to the original translation, he says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And then he says this, and you're already pruned. What? Through my word. You see, the Word of God is the instrument that He uses to prune our lives. First of all, because the Word of God identifies the dead and diseased sinful practices in our life. You see, the husbandman takes that knife and he goes and starts removing anything that's dead and diseased. And the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Word of God identifies the sinful attitudes in our lives, and the sinful practices in our lives that keep us from bearing fruit. Now, this is an unpleasant experience because many people have sins that they detest. But then just about everybody has their favorite sin. It's a lot more attractive. You know the sin that God's going to reveal to us through his word? It's going to be our favorite sin. Our favorite attitude. And so we realize that the word of God is sharp. And when it is presented accurately and faithfully, it's going to hit us in the face concerning the sins that need to be dealt with. Oh, but he goes a little bit further. You remember we said that pruning not only removes the sinful things or the dead leaves, but also the vines that look okay. There's some things that in and of themselves are okay. Money, jobs, relationships, unless, watch this, those things start to divert the attention and the resources and energy in our lives that should be producing fruit. That's exactly what was going on with the rich, young Ruler, he came to Jesus at night, and he said, what, what can I do so my life would just really make a difference for you? And he says, this thing you need to do, you need to sell everything you have. Is it because money is bad? No, there were a lot of wealthy people through the years who have served the Lord. Money's not bad, but what Jesus saw is this. There's something in your life, and it looks good. Everybody else thinks it's good. But there's something in your life that's interfering with your devotion to me. And you need to get rid of it. What did he do? He pruned it. Well, at least tried to. The man would have none of it. Nope, nope, nope. Not going to get rid of that. I'm not going to stop doing that. I'm not going to get that out of my life. Sometimes that's familiar, isn't it? 
things that necessarily aren't that bad, but if we let them interfere with our walk with the Lord and then we're confronted and said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cut that out. I'm not going to use my time for this. I'm going to use it for that. And so we understand the word of God is very direct showing us the things in our life that may be okay, but they are causing us to produce no fruit or very poor quality fruit. Now, you say, man, you're going to have to get down to specifics. What are you talking about fruit? We're not talking about grapes. What are we talking about concerning fruit in our lives? About three passages of Scripture that kind of give us a good sharp focus about what we're talking about specifically in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Many of you know this passage of Scripture. We're going to start here. That's a good place to start. Jesus says fruit, more fruit, much fruit. What's he talking about? Paul identifies spiritual fruit in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22. 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, I guess you could call this, if you want to be cute about it and preach a sermon. Sometimes we preach cute things, you know, and we, we, we title the sermon the Christian's Fruit Basket or something like that. But we're not going to do that today. But I guess it just did, didn't I? Okay, all right, back on track. Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, listen to this, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience with people. Uh-oh. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wow. Now we're getting down to specifics. Now, is that, is that being produced in my life? Or are there things that interfere with me producing these things in my life? You turn over just about another page to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, Righteousness. And what's righteousness? Well, let's just put it in South Arkansas language. Behaving ourselves. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Righteousness and truth. Book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I'm praying that you'll be fruitful in every good work, doing good things as opposed to just things. So now we're getting down to specifics. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, we will be singing and giving praise to God, the fruit of our lips to, to the Lord. Now we're getting down to specific things. Do we, do we look at our lives and see love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, kindness? Do we see that? Do we see righteousness? Do we see every good work? Now we're getting a clearer picture of what God would want to do in our lives. So, in order to make this happen, he prunes us. And he prunes us 
with his word, revealing the stuff in our lives that keep this, these things from happening. But now, before the vine dresser prunes, this, this is not in the discussion that Jesus had with his disciples in John chapter 15, but everybody knew that it happened because they knew that pruning couldn't happen without this first one. Before the vine dresser prunes, he inspects. How does he know where the dead branches are? He gets up close and personal with that vine. He starts going through it. He starts picking through the leaves. And he starts identifying the, the disease and the dead stuff, and he finds it. Then he looks around, and he sees, well, these look good from the outside, but this, this is never going to produce fruit, and it's going to keep that branch from producing fruit, snip. But this one right here, snip. Now, somebody else may look at it that's not trained and say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're destroying the vine. Snip, snip. What he does is inspects the vine, and he's the one that sees what has to go. He inspects the branches. The branches don't decide what has to go. God decides it. And you see, God inspects our lives. Passage of scripture that comes to mind in the 139th Psalm. Hundred thirty ninth Psalm. We we may know the words of this psalm because we know the words of a psalm that echo these same words. In the hundred thirty ninth Psalm, listen to this prayer that the psalmist prayed to the vine dresser. He said this: the hundred thirty ninth Psalm, verse twenty three. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Start picking through the branches. Going through the leaves. and Looking close. Get up close and personal and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Now the King James says thoughts. New King James and other English translations may interpret this anxieties. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Now, we may pray that and be pretty comfortable about it because not just a lot of wickedness in here. Oh, but look at that other word. Try me and know my what? Anxieties. You know what anxiety means? Worry. You know what saps us from about as much strength as anything else in our life to keep us from being fruitful? Worry. We worry and we fret and we wear ourselves out about what might happen, what could happen. Oh, no, all these things and we're just so worn out and there's no energy, no emotional energy, no spiritual energy left to produce any fruit. Wow. The inspector knows how to get into our stuff, doesn't he? He just did. He just did. You see, that is a prayer that David prayed. Please inspect my life. And as the vine dresser inspects our life, 
inspect my life and just start snipping, God. Are we, we bold enough to pray that prayer? Are we brave enough to do that? Are we going to pray that prayer and let him have his way in my life? Jesus said it this way, and this word is used several times. Chapter 15, verse 5 of John that we were in. I am the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You know that word abide is used several times in this passage of Scripture, in this discussion. The word abide. What does it mean? To abide in Jesus means to make Jesus our permanent dwelling. Now, we may say this, say amen to him, but let me turn that coin around. Abiding is much more than a casual visit from time to time. You see, people visit our homes. but they don't live there. And you see, sometimes we are comfortable just visiting Jesus from time to time. But we don't live there, do we? We don't spend that much time that you could say, well, we live with Jesus. We just come see him every now and then, maybe when we really need a favor, maybe just ever so often. You see, to abide in Jesus is more than just a casual acquaintance and just coming in from time to time. But he said this, abide in me and I in him. For without me you can do nothing. Now, we look at that, that's pretty bold. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Jesus said it plainly. Without him, we can do nothing. But I want to leave you with a more positive thought. Let's turn that coin around. We can say very truthfully, without Jesus, we can do nothing. We are nothing without Jesus. But, oh, with Jesus, we can do everything. Everything that God wants us to do. With Jesus, we could be anything. A lot of times we look at that negative, but I, but I want to look at, at what the picture Jesus had. The picture, picture Jesus had, you abide in me, and I abide in you. You can produce much fruit. Now, here's the picture. We've got these grapevines out here, and they're growing just regular dirt. Now, that dirt doesn't have any sweetness in it. Now, now, I have not eaten that dirt, but when I was a kid, I ate dirt other places. I pretty well know dirt. I know how it tastes. There's nothing sweet in that dirt under that grapevine, but oh, those grapes are sweet. And see, this is the picture of what the vine does for us. The vine, Jesus Christ, takes all that stuff that in and of itself is not sweet, is not good, has no nutrition, has nothing good, and he flows through Jesus, and we as the vine of the branch attached to the vine, and now all of a sudden we're getting the best of what's coming out of the earth. We're getting the best, and it all comes through the vine. We're getting all the good stuff. And then Jesus can take all that that doesn't seem to have any taste, any rhyme, any reason, and he puts it all together, and he comes into the branch, into our lives, and he produces something good with it. 
And only Jesus can do that. Who, who is this? Well, he's saying, won't you come abide with me? We need to know who we're going to abide in. He lets us know. And chapter 4, he said, I'm the Messiah. At the woman on the well, he said, and I've got the water of life, and you drink of this water, you'll never thirst. In chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger. That inner hunger will be satisfied. Chapters 8 and 9, he said, I'm the light of the world. If any man walks in me, he will never walk in darkness. He says in chapter 10, I'm the door of the sheep. And in me, you can go in and out very safely and find good pasture. He also says, I'm the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep hear me and know my voice. And they'll never perish. And nobody snatches them out of my hand. What a feeling of safety. Chapter 11, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And he says, that's who I'm inviting you to come live with. Wow. He gave us a very clear picture. And he says, do you want to come live in me and make me your permanent dwelling? And let me take everything that comes your way and I'll turn it into fruit. But you can't do it unless you abide in me. For without me, you can do nothing. How is it? The chief inspector comes, he looks at our life. Why don't we look at our life like God would look at our life and say, you know, I, I, can, I can see there's some things that are just keeping me from being what God wants me to be, and I want to deal with that today. Maybe you've never, ever accepted Christ. The picture here is this. Without Christ, you're like a branch that's cut off from a tree, and sooner or later that branch will wilt, and that branch will not live, and there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Aren't we thankful that he gave us a clear picture of who he is and what he will do in our lives as we stand and sing. Number 85.